This is Bill Munhausen with another edition of What Makes Sense. We've just completed a series about worldview, which laid a foundation for where I want to go, and that is to apply the foundation to practical matters. What is going on in the world now? In doing this, I want to avoid just commenting about current events. Lots of people do that. I want to apply what we see here and now to what is more permanent, how we will live and what we will we'll advocate and do. Today's theme is freedom of speech. So let me start with some comments. A lot of people talk about the evils of socialism and warn young people in particular not to embrace socialism, but it's almost like they think just calling it, quote, socialism will convince others that it is evil. The issue is much more complex than that. So let's try an example. There are two kinds of lions. One kind of lion lives in the wilds of Africa in groups of his own kind. They are hunter-predators who survive by hunting vulnerable species like the antelope. These lions are free, but their futures are uncertain. Human civilization, vari variations in climate and environmental hardships among other factors, all affect the lion's habitat. And the prey they depend on hunting is similarly affected. Every year, animal species become extinct as wild animals of all kinds try to survive. This is the uncertainty of lions in the wild. The second kind of lion lives in captivity. Although sometimes caged, most of the time he hangs out with his own kind in larger habitat enclosures. Although there are barriers containing him, food and water are given to him. He's given meds to keep him healthy. He's provided shade for shelter from the hot sun. He doesn't worry about changes in habitat because his enclosure is benevolently maintained. His instincts may even yearn for the excitement of the hunt, but there are no antelopes in, the, in his world. So he looks for other ways to entertain himself. Which kind of lion is better off? Which lion is happier? This is the foundational question facing the human race. Shall we live as free people or as managed captives? For the last 50 years, Americans have lived with one foot in each worldview. We are free, but we can buy insurance. Plan our futures, but fall back on social security. We compete with one another for financial success but instead of letting the loser fail, we invent bankruptcy and bailouts and other accommodations to ensure nobody gets hurt. For many young people, the choice seems simple. Being at the bottom of the competitive food chain, many would say, can, we can avoid the struggle and the risk of failure if we simply cooperate with government and allow them to manage our risks. They are willing to trade freedom for security because they are confident that the people in charge will always be benevolent. Those of us who are older have seen with our own eyes that it's not always the case. That brings me to my first example. A headline in the reporter newspaper reads, quote, Camdenton considers removing sitting aldermen. Unquote. The alderman in question is my friend Dan Owsley. Dan commented on social media about a local teacher supporting LGBTQ plus ideology in the classroom. I didn't see the comments because Facebook's algorithm seems to have screened them out, so I don't know the details. I'm pretty sure 
The details aren't the issue here. What is the issue is that the core members of Camdenton's government disagree with Dan Owsley and want him gone and replaced by someone more cooperative. This is an example of government in our little, very conservative town, yet they want to bully people for their personal opinions. How benevolent is that? Furthermore, they want to pass an ordinance making it illegal for an elected official to express personal opinions in the future. What a slippery slope idea, one where leaders of the elected party or individual could ban the ideas of the opposing party or individual opponent. It's un-American. The very nature of politics is conflict. Conflict is a natural part of figuring out solutions. And banning conflict is just kind of a crazy idea. The reporter does such an excellent job of commenting about the proposed ordinance that I will quote the article's author. Some of the sections of the bill are very broad and would in their present form be difficult to define. It is a violation of this policy to post statements, photographs, video, or audio that could be construed to be an attempt to harass, bully, or threaten co-workers, residents, suppliers, citizens, or other individuals. Close quote. The article further says, defining divisiveness or controversy in today's world would be close to impossible, since many people are offended by every little thing. If you agree to be an elected official of the city, your personal free speech would be restricted which Owsley's attorneys said is a violation of the First Amendment. Isn't it ironic that in trying to ban bullying and harassment, city officials are bullying and harassing? Restriction on speech is one of the hallmarks of top-down government, including socialism. Socialism is a managed system, and managers can't allow you to deviate from the plan. Therefore, any speech that expresses a different opinion, one that advocates action, different from the manager's vision, has to be restricted. This also is the heart behind wokeness and political correctness. If speech can be regulated, nobody can suggest straying from the plan. Consider this example. Pennsylvania teacher Darren Cusado of Southside Area School District was suspended last week after he reportedly told school officials he would not follow a new district mandate requiring teachers address students by their preferred pronouns because it violated his religious beliefs. Due to an outpouring of support for the teacher, the school's policy was reversed and the teacher reinstated, but there is more to be learned from it. Socialists believe that social attitudes can be changed by forcing changes in speech. For example, socialists began calling themselves progressives in order to avoid the negative feeling Americans had toward socialism. After all, who can argue with progress? Social scientists believe if you can get people to address a boy as she, people will eventually get used to the idea of transgenderism as normal. Another example of stifling speech and freedom of conscience is former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard, who announced yesterday that she is no longer a member of the Democratic Party. Here's what T Tucker Carlson had to say about it. 
Good evening and welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight. So when Tulsi Gabbard won the Democratic Party's primary for a congressional seat in Hawaii 10 years ago, she'd effectively won the seat. Hawaii may be the most liberal out of all 50 states. It is a Democratic state, flat out. It has not voted for a Republican presidential candidate in nearly 40 years. So if you get elected as a Democrat in Hawaii, it's not exactly breaking news. It's standard operating procedure. And yet when Tulsi Gabbard won that primary and then the seat, the Democratic National Party took a deep interest in her. And you can see why. Here was a smart, appealing 31-year-old who knew what she believed and could explain it fluently. And by the way, she was also an Iraq war veteran. So in political terms, Tulsi Gabbard was near perfect. And they got it immediately. Barack Obama endorsed her right away. Nancy Pelosi called her personally and invited Tulsi Gabbard, did you remember this, to speak on the opening night of the Democratic National Convention. And then once she was sworn into Congress in January, the DNC named Tulsi Gabbard vice chair of the National Party. She'd just gotten there, and she was vice chair of the DNC. And then, of course, the media played its prescribed role. If Nancy Pelosi likes you, well, so do they. So fawning profile after fawning profile emerged. If you lived in Washington at the time, you remember it very well. Here, ladies and gentlemen, the future of the Democratic Party, Tulsi Gabbard. In case you don't remember, here's a selection to jog your memory. Watch out for the next superstar. Here we it's, go. You're talking about off air all hey, week. Hey, Here hey, we listen. go. Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi Gabbard is a rising star in this party. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard should be here tonight. Uh, the reality is we do not have enough young veterans in this party, enough young women in this party, enough people of color in this party. You're considered a rising star in the Democratic Party. You had a position of leadership in the Democratic National Committee. Tulsi's story is really, I think, tailor-made for Hollywood. I half expect Natalie Portman to be vying for the role any day now <laughs> because this story is not to be believed. Tulsi Gabbard, she is going to be the one to watch tonight at the DNC. And Tulsi Gabbard, she's an Iraq War veteran. Yeah. Yesterday she was promoted yeah. from captain to major in the Hawaii National yeah, Guard. So, so she certainly is a rising star. The yeah. fact that she's not here yeah, tonight for whatever bad. reason is unfortunate. I don't know, but in a battle, I want her in my trench. I <laughs> me too, me too. Did you hear that? She's a rising star. Hollywood's going to make a movie about her. I want her in my trench. It's pretty hard to believe now, but that was the absolute consensus among Democratic Party sycophants until 2016. In 2016, as if by command from above, the fawning stopped abruptly, replaced initially by silence, and then by howls of scorned rage. So what happened in 2016? Well, Donald Trump was elected president. And then a few days later, displaying the independence of spirit that Democrats claim to love in young women, but actually despise more than anything, Tulsi Gabbard decided to talk to the new president about an issue that she cared about, which was U.S. policy towards Syria, a country that, again, Gabbard was virtually alone in pointing out has an awful lot of Christians in it, so maybe we should pay attention. As she put it at the time, quote, I felt it was important to take the opportunity to meet with the president-elect now before the drumbeats of war that neocons have been beating drag us into an escalation of the war to overthrow the Syrian government. Woo, we can't say that in Washington. Maybe she didn't know. But they told her, stop. Let the adults do it. But Gabbard didn't seem to care. A few weeks later, she went personally to Syria. She was a member of Congress. You can do that. And she wanted to see conditions for herself. And then while she was there, she met with the Syrian president, Bashar al-Assad. And that was it. It was over. Whether Tulsi Gabbard knew it or not, her career as a rising star within the Democratic Party came to a complete, abrupt, and final halt. She had done the one thing you're not allowed to do. She committed the one unforgivable sin which is to question permanent Washington's foreign policy. You can't do that, and everyone knows it. 
And if you look around, you can see that no one does do it. They always tell you radical Sandy Cortez is, Rashida Tlaib. Would they do that? No way. AOC may be a socialist, but in the end, she's with Bill Kristol and Liz Cheney on Team Raytheon. She does not cross that line because you're not allowed to. But Tulsi Gabbard is someone who had served in the U.S. military, in fact, was still serving in the U.S. military, was an elected member of Congress, decided, why shouldn't I say what I think? And so she did. And for doing that, overnight, her fellow Democrats accused Tulsi Gabbard, the combat veteran you'd want in your foxhole, of committing treason against the country she was serving. Hillary Clinton went even farther than that. Speaking of conspiracy nuts, Hillary Clinton way crazier than Alex Jones ever thought of being. She claimed the Russians were grooming Tulsi Gabbard as some kind of Manchurian candidate. You want to listen to lunacy? Listen to this. I'm not making any predictions, but I think they've got their eye on somebody who's currently in the Democratic <laughs> primary and are grooming her to be the third party candidate. She's a favorite of the Russians. Well, that's just completely whacked. Was she a crisis actor, too? What a lunatic. But no one noticed because everyone was saying it. The L.A. Times, which at one point was an actual newspaper, accused Tulsi Gabbard of, quote, talking like a Russian asset, maybe a spy. So the years went by and Tulsi Gabbard decided to run for president, still as a Democrat, as she had been in her entire time in Congress. She'd always been a Democrat, of course, the vice chair of the DNC. And so she wound up in a presidential debate in October of 2019, and she responded to the smears against her. Watch this. New York Times and CNN have also smeared veterans like myself for calling for an end to this regime change war. Uh, just two days ago, the New York Times put out a, an article saying that I'm a, a Russian asset and an Assad apologist and all these different smears. This morning, a CNN commentator said on national television that I'm an asset of Russia. Completely despicable. As president, I will end these regime change wars by doing two things, ending the draconian sanctions that are really a modern day siege, the likes of which we are seeing Saudi Arabia wage against Yemen that have caused tens and thousands of Syrian civilians to die and to starve. And I would make sure that we stop supporting terrorists like Al Qaeda in Syria, who've been the ground force in this ongoing regime change Thank war. You. They called her a Russian asset. Now, that slur is so common that we don't really think about it, but think about it just for a second. This is a transparently patriotic person, an elected member of Congress who was serving in the U.S. Army, who's also, by the way, one of the nicest people in all of Washington, who is making traditionally liberal points about war. Not that all wars are bad or war is never necessary. She's participated in wars personally. She's merely saying and has said, dozens of times on television, that wars that don't benefit the United States are probably a bad idea for us to engage in. That's all she said. And for that, she was run out of town. Now, why is that? Why is that such an unacceptable thing to say? Well, of course, because there's a pattern here. Certain people do benefit from wars and they want more. So three years after that debate, another U.S.-funded regime change war is underway. And that is exactly what's happening. This time, our stated goal is removing not some third world dictator who might have WMD, but removing a guy who is the world's largest nuclear stockpile, 6,300 nuclear warheads, Vladimir Putin. And once again, because Tulsi Gabbard has questioned the wisdom of this complete lunacy, 
Democrats are accusing her of working for Vladimir Putin. So if you want to know what the Democratic Party actually believes, don't listen to what they say. Oh, we want empowered women of color who are also veterans. No, they don't. They want people who support regime change war. That's their red line. That's the one thing they will brook no dissent on whatsoever. They don't care what you think about that. They don't want to debate you on it. If you disagree or even ask questions, they go right to traitor. So today, Tulsi Gabbard did what is probably inevitable and probably has been since 2016. She left her own party, the Democratic Party. And we don't have to guess as to why, because she explained it in some detail. And we ask you, please listen carefully to this because it's inspiring and interesting. And she did it on her new podcast called The Tulsi Gabbard Show. It launched today. Here she is. I can no longer remain in today's Democratic Party. It's now under the complete control of an elitist cabal of warmongers driven by cowardly wokeness who divide us by racializing every issue and stoking anti-white racism, who actively work to undermine our God-given freedoms enshrined in our Constitution, and who are hostile to people of faith and spirituality, who demonize the police, who protect criminals at the expense of law-abiding Americans, who believe in open borders, who weaponize the national security state to go after their political opponents, and above all, are dragging us ever closer to nuclear war. Now, these are some of the main reasons I'm leaving the Democratic Party. What Tulsi Gabbard is describing is a government that is increasingly controlling its citizens and undermining freedoms. It is evidence of the increasing implementation of socialism in American government. Controlling free speech is one of the first freedoms to be lost. Freedom of speech is mostly gone in the European nations where rights of speech originated. It began in the area of civil rights, but is now progressing into subjects like climate change and pandemic response, where government interests require that citizens must not advocate opinions contrary to government mandates. The final example in the assault on freedom of speech goes beyond government into the area of corporatism. Many of my acquaintances on the left believe that corporations are aligned with capitalism, but that's not true. The corporate environment is a system of top-down management and control, just like socialist government. When I was a corporate executive in California, everyone I supervised was bound to a system of compliance, which was essential to ensure that everyone in the corporation worked the corporate plan and conformed with its policies. Freedom has no place in corporate America. As we approach another election, social media platforms are being called upon to prevent misinformation. In order to do that, they must decide what is true information, what speech is allowable. Here is how one journalist put it. Since the 2020 election, mainstream platforms like Twitter and Facebook have been more liberal in applying measures to block, label, and remove politicians, including their watershed decisions to suspend former President Trump's accounts last year. But as more politicians test the boundaries of the platform's rules with incendiary uh, posts, especially after an uptick in violent rhetoric following the FBI research or the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago, critics warn that tech companies 
need to do more than dust off their 2020 playbooks to follow through on their commitments to block misinformation and hate speech. Social media companies are focusing on three areas, political discourse, pandemic response, and gender issues. Consider what they've done. They banned the account of a sitting president of the United States. By whose standards, we might ask? We know that tech companies, including social media, are politically left-leaning. So much of Republican speech is unacceptable. Regarding pandemic information, Martin Rook, a research fellow at Harvard's Shorenstein Center, said moderating content for medical misinformation is far simpler than it is for posts which are inherently political. There are scientific authorities that can be consulted with regarding medicine, he said. What this means is that any comments disputing government-sponsored medical experts can be considered misinformation. How, then, could official misinformation get corrected? Isn't that one of the rights of citizenship and journalists, is to find or to challenge the government whenever they suspect that government is in error? Then there are the gender issues. An article I read says, a report released by the Center for Countering Digital Hate, CCDH, and the Human Rights Campaign, HRC, earlier this month found that just 10 Twitter accounts drove 66% of impressions for the 500 most viewed anti-LGBTQ tweets using groomer as a slur between January and July. Among them were the accounts of Representatives Green and Lauren Boebert, Republican of Colorado, who are both seeking re-election in November. The posts seemingly violate Twitter's policy. A Twitter spokesperson confirmed that use of the term groomer is prohibited under the hateful conduct policy when used as a descriptor in context of discussion of gender identity. CCDH and HRC are radical socialist organizations. The HRC announces on their homepage their new leader, quote, Robinson, a widely respected leader in the progressive movement, is the inspirational, innovative leader who will galvanize our organization and our movement to meet this moment and the future we are fighting for. Robinson will become the organization's ninth president and the first black queer woman to lead the HRC. This is not an unbiased organization who should be given the responsibility to, to, to screen what is true. This is a socialist organization that can be expected to restrict free speech. To summarize, the fundamental issue with socialism is that it is a system that cannot coexist with freedom of speech. Socialism is a top-down system of management control that loses control if freedom is permitted. The only choice the system tolerates is lack of choice, beginning with the suppression of free speech. It happens nationally, but also happens in the government of small communities. Let's close with a comment by Victor Davis Hansen. And so that's where we are. We've created a very wealthy, elite, protected class 
and they have controls of the influence in the Western world. And by that I mean the books that are published, the podcast, not this one, but there's very few of us, the media, social media, network news, PBS, NPR, Foundation, all of it. And they have a, a huge megaphone and they have the money, the wealth. If you look at the Fortune 400, these are not ancient fortunes based on manufacturing or assembly or oil or mining or gas or transportation. They're finance, investment, insurance, high tech, bio, media. And they're very left-wing people. They have a global market. They're very wealthy. They're ideological. And they have an agenda that they feel is good for us. This is their religion. As atheists and agnostics, they feel we're going to convert these people. We don't want to do it by the sword if we, have, if we can avoid it. But they're going to do what's good for them. And we know what it is. We've seen their visions. It's all of us are going to live in high rises and we're going to go to a belt around a city on mass transit. We're going to give up our individual cars and we're going to use a particular type of fuel. We're going to think a particular way. We're going to have a particular K through 12 education and we're going to be the perfect citizen according to them. And they don't believe in liberty. They don't believe individual choice. They don't believe that individuals can make better decisions than they can as government. So they're very scary people. And they, they're not new in history. Every generation or two, they have a new face. If this was 1793, we'd be calling them Jacobins. If it was 1963 you know, or 68, maybe, in China, we would call them Maoist. And uh, if we called in, and uh, after 1945 to 50 in the United States, we'd call them sympathizers with socialism or communism. So I don't know how we defeat them other than the way we've always defeated them. And that is we, a few people call them out and say it doesn't work and we're going to oppose you. We're not going to put you in camps. We're not going to uh, violate the Constitution, but we're going to speak out against you. And that's how we've always, we have a better system. We have better values and uh, we care about people and we're humanist. Mm -hmm. I don't think that they're anti-human, as you said. When AOC said that she didn't want children because, uh, because of climate change, and when you t tell the left that you can't have a society with a 1.3 fertility rate because you'll have a bunch of old people dependent on very few young people whose whole, whole lives will be spent taking care of them, they, they don't care. That, that They like that. The fewer people, the less carbon imprint on the environment. So... It's very sad because it's insidious. People with PhDs and JDs and MDs and MAs and BAs who are very glib can do a lot of damage. And as we get older, I'm not trying to be romantic or naive, but something about a person who works with their hands and they combine the mind with the body and they build or they mine or they harvest, they're they're grounded in reality, and they know human human. They know human limitations, and they believe that the world is tragic. And you try to do your best, and if you're not perfect, it doesn't mean you're not good. Thanks for joining us today. Until next time, go out and do good.